honest. 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfume. Oh, mercy. Five, four, three, two, one. From inside the Masson newsroom, it is the Masson All Access Podcast. Paul Mancano and Brendan Mortensen here with you. As always, got a polo shirt on to display the casts in their full glory. Uh, no more hiding these bad boys. These are out in the open. It's more of a badge of honor at this point than than something that should be hidden. I'm, I'm glad that you've taken the step to to show the world. I think I think they need to be out in the open and uh, honestly get some fresh air. They are removable. That is the good thing. I don't need hard casts. Thanks for asking, Brendan. Um, I, I probably should have asked. I mean, to be fair, I already knew <laughs> you that. You were already driving me around half the time. I have Giving been, me yes. rides. Uh, so, I should yeah. start charging like an Uber. The the star rating, however, would be very low. Very just, low. Just yeah. so you know, I yeah. would have to That's fair. Re- respond in kind. Uh, it's going to be a good podcast. We're going to have Trey Mancini on the podcast in a little bit to talk about his new podcast, Call Your Shot, which he is co-hosting with Sarah Perlman, who's former Mass and All Access host Sarah Perlman. Would you look at that? Uh, they have already released one episode. It is outstanding. So that conversation is coming up in just a bit. But for now, Brendan and I are going to talk about some potential trade candidates. Some The uh, trade deadline is mere days away, Monday, if you will. Which is crazy. It is crazy. Uh, also, a month from today, the regular season ends, September 27th. It's the last day of the regular season. Season is just flying by. Uh, Orioles are just a couple games under 500, but I think we all know they are going to be at least standing pat, and if not standing pat, selling at this trade deadline. So there are a couple guys that um, they could be selling off. Before we get into that, though, Brendan, we have to talk about the new wave that is sweeping baseball, and that is the bunt. Is it sweeping baseball? It is at least sweeping the Baltimore Orioles. Uh, in particular, a couple guys, Cedric Mullins, Andrew Velasquez, pretty much anybody who has speed on this team. Brandon Hyde has said that uh, he's cool with them bunting. He wants them to bunt. He said, we're going to bunt a lot. I love it. I love it. it a- analytics hate the bunt, hate the bunt. But when you have a guy like a Cedric Mullins, who is built for the bunt, who really does not barrel up a whole lot of baseballs, obviously does not have a whole lot of power, doesn't even really have gap-to-gap power, but can lay down a quality bunt and can make good use of it. It, it fits his playing style, and I feel like that's a, a thing that we have seen from Brandon Hyde, is he knows how to cater a certain playing style for the type of player that he has in the building. And I think it's kind of similar to like the death of the mid-range jumper in the NBA, where like the analytics will tell you it's just not a shot worth taking because you're not going to get as much value for it as you yeah. would either in the paint or at the three-point line. But if you're Cedric Mullins and you're bunting effectively, I don't know what his average is bunting. Bunt statistics are very hard very to find. very difficult to find. We have, yeah. we have found out through our research because they really don't exist that much because not a lot of people are bunting. But if you're Cedric Mullins and you are hitting well, hitting, I mean, bunting well, and getting on base, we know he's a threat on the base paths. So if he's on first, he's a threat to steal second. We saw the other day that he's a threat to steal third. So you want that dude on base. And if the way to get on base is bunting, you might as well. Right. Well, you, you mentioned the NBA comparison. I like it because there's like a, it gets to the point where the, like, <laughs> to look at it from like a market standpoint, like the market goes all one way. You know, teams all buy into one philosophy to the point where, there's an inefficiency in a certain way of thinking. So you have to adjust and say, all right, so many people are not doing this that it's almost in an underutilized advantage and there are advantages to doing it. So like, for example, you know, in, in the NBA, they had to find, you know, Carmelo Anthony is still going to take a mid-range jumper because he still is really good at it. That doesn't mean everybody should. That doesn't mean James Harden should, but if you have a guy who does it really well, it's still an efficient shot. So in this instance, you know, bunting is not efficient if you are most players. 
if you are, not, you know, probably 95% of the players, but you have a small percentage of guys that are fast enough that can get on base and bunt effectively that know how to bunt because it is a skill in and of itself. Uh, that if you have those guys on the team, it makes absolute sense for you to do it. Right. It's all in the percentages and the averages. Yeah. Because percentage-wise, let's take a look across the league and say that maybe you're safe at first on a bunt 10% of the time, maybe. If, if you're hitting like... If every guy laid down a bunt? If every guy laid down a bunt. Maybe a little higher. Maybe a little higher. Yeah. And then, you know, on a, on a normal swing, maybe you're hitting 250. Right. Yeah, so, so it doesn't... It, right. So the averages then would point towards the bunt. But if you are a guy who's going to hit 200, 210, and all of a sudden you can be safe on a bunt 25% of the time and hit 250 with it, the averages right. point in that direction. The, the thing is, Cedric Mullins, I, I mean... He has the ability to hit the ball out of the ballpark. He's not a total Ben Revere, if you will, but he is going to be grounding out a lot, and he's going to be not driving the ball to the gap, not driving the ball to the wall. He So if your options are grounding out or trying to get on base via bunt, you pick the bunt. And the other thing is, uh, I've and I've heard this from, you know, I'm not a baseball scout by any standpoint, but what I've heard is that um, pitchers are so used to not having to field the bunt, and it's something that they don't really worry about on an average at bat, and they don't worry about coming into a season. That's not something they take extra time. They're worried about pitching. They're worried about adding, you know, ticks to their velocity. They're worried about adding new pitches to their arsenal. It's the same reason they're not going to be in the cage hitting a whole lot. They're not going to be spending a whole lot of time fielding bunts because at this point, most teams don't do it a whole lot. They don't do it nearly as much as they used to. So when a pitcher is faced with a guy like Cedric Mullins who drops down a perfect bunt, to his right side and his glove side, and he's got to pick it up and spin, and and he has to hurry, and he knows in his head he has to hurry because Cedric is fast. He's might airmail that throw, or he might stumble over his own feet. So there are you you catch a team off guard that way, and it doesn't work forever. You know, it, it's not going to work against if you face a Zach Greinke who's a Gold Glover, he's probably going to not be phased and just pick it up and toss you, throw right down to first, and you're you're out by several steps. But you can occasionally catch a guy off guard by doing it. And when you do, you're on base. It's it's just as good as a walk or a single. Well, and like you said, at the very least, you're forcing action. Yeah. You're putting the ball in you're play. Put, yeah. You're as opposed forcing to the defense to do something. Yeah. Exactly. So it, you put the ball in play, something is going to happen. Either the defense is going to make a good play or you're going to, you know, they're going to trip up and you're going to get on base. Yeah. Putting the ball in play is a lot better than striking out in any scenario. Right. And when you have a guy like Cedric Mullins, who is a, a, a light hitter still at this point in his career, and that you know he has the potential to be better. But Andrew Velasquez has always been a light hitter in his career, fast guy. There are huge opportunities to take advantage of it. And then beyond just nobody on base, I mean, we were talking about, of course, the, the extra inning, and it feels like the Orioles have been an eight extra inning game so far. Extra inning, runner on second, abso-freaking-lutely. You drop down a bunt. I mean, there's no yeah. reason not to drop down a bunt. So you, you move the guy over. You then have a guy at third with one out. You have an out to play with. All you need is a is a fly ball to the outfield to drive in a run. So absolutely, that's a case to, to drop down a bunt. And just to be perfectly clear, if you're Renato Nunez, don't bunt. We're, we're not advocating that the slower slower guys on the team should be bunting. <laughs> yeah, no, and there's no reason Anthony Santander should be laying down. No, or, and yeah. if you are one of the American League's best hitters and Anthony Santander, please don't bunt. That, that's not what we're advocating for here on the podcast. But if you're Cedric Mullins or Andrew Velasquez, why not? Yeah. And it, and I like the fact that Brandon Hyde is just pulling all these tricks out of his bag because he, he knows that he has to e- exploit every exploitable area in order to win games. You know, he has to, he can't, it, it's like the money ball. If you play like the Yankees in here, we will lose to the Yankees out there. Right. You have to play your own brand of baseball that fits your guys, and he has done that so effectively through the first month of the season. All right, Brendan, trade deadline coming around the bend. Yes. I think this year is going to be the strangest trade deadline uh, in a lot of ways. There are so many factors to consider. I think the fact that you have an expanded playoff field, you have 16 teams making the playoffs – means that there are going to be, I think, more buyers than sellers uh, this year, which typically is not the case. So there right, might... we just saw it today. I mean, the Blue Jays bought. Yeah. And they went out and got a pitcher, and they weren't a team that 
would have been a buyer had it no. not been for the expanded playoffs. No, absolutely not. And and had it maybe had it not been for a 162 game season, you know, they, right? At, on July 31st, they might have been way out of the the playoff race. But because they're all, they only had to play a month's worth of baseball, you have an okay month. Hey, we might just send a couple prospects some way, yeah. and and we'll figure it out. The other thing to consider, there's so many factors here. The other thing to consider is. Um, you know, you are going with a smaller database with these guys because you're only going off a month's worth of data for the 2020 season, and you're only getting these guys at least this year for a month and then the playoffs. So you are, you're not getting a whole lot, and teams don't have a lot to go by. So it's, it's difficult to kind of get a trade there. Then you have to consider only guys who are on the 60-man uh, player pool can be dealt. So we're going to see a lot of players well, to be named later. Can be dealt right now. Yes. Yeah. Um, could be dealt after the season. Who knows when they'll reopen things back up. But can be dealt right now. So what we're going to see is a lot of players to be named later. So if the Orioles trade, you know, a Michael Givens and Alex Cobb for, you know, maybe a prospect and a play, a couple of players to be named later, I I get the instinct to be like, well, that's nobody. <laughs> you know, right. like you don't have a name to attach to that. But odds are they have somebody in mind or a couple guys in mind. Maybe they have a list to pick from. And the other, you know, the Orioles are just waiting. Maybe maybe they have already agreed in principle to trade a guy, but they just can't announce it and they can't actually deal the guy until after the season. Right, and that doesn't necessarily mean that it's a nobody prospect right. either. Exactly. I mean, Heston Kerstad is not on the Orioles' 60-man roster right now. So technically, if somebody... Not going to happen, yeah, obviously, no. but if somebody were to trade... For a guy like a Heston Kerstad, he would technically be a player to be named later. So right. it's not like these guys are just nobodies. There's just guys that aren't on right. the 60-man roster right now. Yeah. Um, all right. Let's get into the guys that the Orioles could sell at the deadline. And the crazy thing is with this month season, I, I honestly think that there are some teams that could sell like the Orioles and still be in it by the end of the season. Like, the Orioles might tr trade one or two guys at this deadline and still continue the pay. I mean, we saw it. they dealt Richard Blyer, and he was one of their most consistent bullpen arms, and they, you know, went on a winning streak right after that. So it can happen. So them selling is a look towards the future. It's not absolutely, you know, they're punting on the season. Brandon Hyde is still going to try to win every game. He has said he's in win-now mode. The players are still going to try to win every game. And as we've seen, they're not phased by the fact that some of their guys might be dealt off. They're just thinking long-term. And with the wackiness of this 2020 season, the trade deadline is less of, okay, are we in a place to compete right now? And it's more of, we're going to stick to the plan. Right. And I think we're going to see that with a lot of teams around baseball I even look at a team like the Marlins, who are right now firmly in the playoff race. They're <laughs> second in the NL East. But if you're the Marlins, are you really buying at the deadline? Because they're, you know, their plans right now are still pretty firmly for the future. And I mean, the Orioles are, are firmly in the playoff hunt as well, even if they're not in a wild card spot currently. Yeah. But I don't think that changes the plans for the future at all. I think you're just pleasantly surprised with how the team is, is playing right now. But that doesn't change the plans for Michael Elias in the front office at this trade deadline. Nor should it. Nor no, should absolutely. It. Yeah. They, you, you can't get caught up in... in um, it's just too small a sample size. Um, all right, let's talk about the zero percenters. These guys that I think legitimately have no percent <laughs> chance of being traded by the Orioles at this deadline. Should I run through them real quick? Just run through them. I can take a deep breath. Keegan Aiken, Austin Hayes, Chris Davis, Pat Vileka, David Hess, Thomas Eshelman, Dwight Smith Jr., Chance Sisko, Anthony Santander, Renato Nunez, Rio Ruiz, Asher Wojciechowski, Travis Lakins, Evan Phillips, Andrew Velasquez, Ryan Mountcastle, Wade LeBlanc. Are there any guys on that list that you think should be taken out of the 0% categories? They're all in there for various reasons. Some of them age, some of them injury, some of them contract, but they're all there because I really don't think the Orioles are going to deal any of these guys. Yeah, I, I can't see any of the guys on this list getting dealt. The only one that is like a 1% is if somebody really needs a utility man and maybe you look at Pat Vileka, who's had a solid 2020, but I, I think it's a very, very small percent chance that somebody gives up he has been assets for Pat Vileka, and he's also struggled recently yeah, in the he's field. He's been struggling so, in the field. Yeah, that, that does not help. I think uh, he's about he's, a 1%. 
Okay. A 0.5%. It would have to be a cash considerations type deal. Yeah, and some of these absolutely. may be cash consideration type deals. But then even with Pat Vileka, I mean, a guy like Brock Holt isn't on a team right now. So if you're a team yeah. that needs somebody like Pat Vileka, you would probably go with Brock Holt <laughs> yeah, first. Yeah. Exactly. There are guys out there. Um, yeah, absolutely. All right. Position players. These are the guys I think have above 0% chance of getting traded. Let's start with the veteran of this group. Jose Iglesias, who is currently injured, hoping he's going to come back soon, off to an absolutely blistering start at the plate, hitting 400, crushing the ball, hitting a a ton of doubles. I mean, when he has been healthy, he has been, crazily enough, the best offensive player pretty much in this lineup. The biggest hurdle here is his injuries. Because if he were fully healthy for this whole season, I would say there's a much higher percent chance that he gets dealt but the fact that he has not been healthy, he's been on in and out of the lineup, and now he's on the IL, it just makes it so difficult to convince a team that he's going to be ready, ready and healthy for a full month plus the playoffs. The thing with me with Jose Iglesias as well is that when you look around the league at shortstops, it seems like every team has a really good shortstop. And I don't think his positional value, the position of shortstop itself is a very valuable position, but it seems like every contender has a good shortstop. I mean, look at the American League. Willie Adamas in Tampa Bay, Glaber Torres, Bo Bichette, Jorge Polanco, Tim Anderson, Francisco Lindor, Marcus Semien, Carlos Correa, J.P. Crawford. That's every contending American League team and their shortstop. I don't think he is an upgrade at really any of those spots, at least not enough of an upgrade to make a move for. So yeah. I, I don't see a high percent chance that Jose Iglesias gets dealt purely because I don't think a lot of teams need help at the shortstop position. Unless yeah. you want to put him at like a second base or third base, we know he's great in the field and he could probably bounce around a little bit. But if he's sticking at shortstop, yeah, everybody he, just has a good shortstop yeah, right I mean, now. The only way I could see him, he would probably have to go to a team... I thought of, actually, you mentioned Bo Bichette with the Blue Jays. Bichette is still injured. He's expected to rejoin the team at some point, but it would probably take somebody going down in the next week or, I guess, less than a week until Monday, like a Bo Bichette. They say, oh, man, he's going to be out for the the rest of September. He's going to be out for the playoffs, or he's going to be out up until the last week of the regular season, and they need somebody to plug and play. Right. That would be my guess. Or the Yankees, too. I mean, everybody on that team is, is on the injured yeah, list right exactly. now. Um, and he has a team option for 2021, which teams just chef's kiss love. Uh, so I, I get the enticing thing about him, but I agree. I think there is not enough need at this point. And if they have that team option, Michael Elias can happily exercise that, keep him under team control next year, see what the market is in the offseason, see what the market is, at next year's trade deadline and maybe get a bigger return for a guy when there is a significant need. I mean, I think of, this is a very different comparison, but like it would take somebody like, remember back when the, the Dodgers traded for Manny Machado, they had a set shortstop at that position at, at that time, but he went down with an injury for the entire year. So they needed somebody just for that time period to fill in and give them, uh, you know, quality play. So that's, that's the only, I, I give it a, 20, 19% chance of getting traded. Yeah, I'd give it about a 10% chance of getting traded. Okay. The thing is, too, uh, he's been the number three hitter for the Orioles. He will not be the number three hitter if he gets traded to this another This is true. Team. This is true. He uh, he won't. All right. No, next won't. next up, another veteran guy. And this is a guy that we disagreed on. Brian Holiday, I think, has a chance to get traded. Look, he's never been a great hitter. He's a 241 hit, lifetime hitter. Um but he's an okay defensive catcher, and we just saw a guy by the name of Rob Brantley, who is a lighter hitter, get traded for essentially cash considerations to the Yankees and was assigned to their minor league player pool. My point is, I, I think that there are teams that are willing to take on a third, that are looking for a third catcher, and Brian Holiday could fit that bill. I, I, and I don't think it would be, it would obviously not be for much, but I think Michael Elias would be willing to give him up for cash considerations slash player to be named later. I see. I, I think we have a slight 
disagreement on the the value of it. Personally, I have a hard time believing that a team is going to go out and shop for a Brian Holiday. I think that, but I think that third string catchers are still valuable at some point. Sure, I, I think there's some value there. Again, my thing is just that I, I don't know if Brian Holiday is a good enough player at this point to be traded in right. in any capacity. I, I think that his defense, which is, uh, I would say at this point, probably above average, and he's a veteran guy, at, at behind the plate. I think that that is what makes him somewhat valuable to teams. And we see light-hitting catchers, I mean, rack up 20-year careers because they, they can hit 220 for their careers, but so long as they're solid defensively, they'll latch onto teams. I mean, I think the Yankees, don't, speaking of the Yankees, don't they have like 40-year-old Eric Kratz? Yeah, Eric Kratz so, started a catcher yeah, yesterday. Yeah, so, I mean, there are these guys will find jobs. If, if, up until they're 40 years old, doesn't matter how low they're hitting, so long as they are providing okay defense. I think that there's a slight chance that he gets straight. I give it a 9% chance. Yeah, I, I guess I'd give it about a 5% chance. I just, I don't know. R- right now, especially in the weird 2020 trade deadline, yeah. are you going shopping for a number three catcher who is probably going to be on your taxi right. squad? Yeah. W- and would you trade for that guy in still a, a pandemic season? Is, I, my, is my thing as right. well. I think it's just it would just have to be something so small. It would just have to be cash or international. I, I could see that. I don't know if they can trade international signing bonus money, actually, at this point. I'll have to look that up. I don't know. Uh, all right, two more guys that I think have a higher than 0% chance, but a less than 5. Hanzo Alberto and Pedro Severino. Severino is injured currently. I give him a 1% chance or 2% chance, and Hanzo Alberto 5%. Because... And Michael, I said this at last year's trade deadline. You have to be getting back something that is better or equal value, at least, to what you're giving up. And at this point, on their current contracts, those guys are just going to be more valuable than anything you get back. Right. And I think Pedro Severino is a pretty good candidate to be re-signed by the Orioles for the next few years. Um, So I, I really don't think that you would get value for him more, like you said, more value for him than he is currently giving you right now. Because when he's healthy, he is a middle of the lineup bat who has given you solid defense and incredible production offensively. We saw the other day that uh, there was a vote for the the would be all star teams for the 2020 season, and Pedro Severino was the starting catcher for the American League. Deser- the, what's crazier is deservedly, that, deservedly so, so. deservedly yeah. so, and I don't think that you would be getting good enough prospects in return for Pedro Severino. No. The one-two punch with him and Chancisco right now has been really effective in this Orioles lineup, and I think you want to keep that. And the same point, again, like you said, would, would hold true for Hans or Alberto, where you just aren't getting enough value in return. And Alberto, too, he's a fan favorite. Yeah. And it, that would be a really tough deal to trade Alberto for you know, a prospect who might not be that exciting. Yeah. If it's not a great prospect, I would be I would be surprised if the Orioles traded not only a guy who's been a very productive hitter for average in the lineup, but also a guy who's a fan favorite. Yeah, I mean they the I really don't see the, the and they're on their current contracts. I mean they're pre arbitration eligible. Like that is just so so valuable to a team. So valuable to a team. So you just don't give those guys up unless you're getting somebody who is and, and the infield right now is very thin. I mean, you're yeah. starting Pat Vileka and Andrew Velasquez pretty consistently. I don't think the Orioles can afford to trade an Alberto right now. Right. Because then who do you put at second? Yeah, I mean, they would have to sign somebody off the or street. call up Ryland Bannon. Yeah, and they, they wouldn't want to rush somebody like right. that. Right. All right. Veteran starters. couple guys. I think there's a chance Tommy Malone gets dealt. And the reason I say that is because he's a lefty. And because he's a starter, and starters are valuable to teams at the deadline. He's not going to be a Tier 1 guy in terms of trade candidates or Tier 2 or probably Tier 3 in terms of veteran starters on the market. But he has an even 4 ERA on the season in six starts. 
He's got nine and a half Ks per nine, which is would be a career high for a season. He's got a four, 4.55 career ERA. If a team is desperate, and I think there are some desperate teams out there, he could be a guy that goes for very little. Yeah. Again, my thinking with this is if you are a contender and you want to make a deal for Tommy Malone in 2020, if you're trading for a starting pitcher at the 2020 trade deadline, you are you have to be under the assumption that he is going to start meaningful games because otherwise you wouldn't trade for the guy, right? So it, I don't if think you're a contender are you trading for Tommy Malone to start meaningful games? I could see the value in him as a long reliever, as a swingman. Yeah, I, I think I, there's I, certainly value there. Right. But I don't know if you would bring Tommy Malone in to start meaningful playoff games. No, he wouldn't start playoff games. No. But I'm, I'm saying just to fill out a rotation. I, I, I think mean, so. if you If you go yeah. with a three- or four-man rotation in the, in the playoffs, he's your fifth starter. Or he's your, right. you know, maybe, maybe you're getting a guy back in September, somebody's down. I mean, I think of teams like the Braves that are hopefully going to be, you know, adding Cole Hamels back into the rotation. They're hopefully going to be, um, you know, adding guys at the deadline. But if they need a spot start and a guy who's not going to explode on them, hopefully, and a guy who's a veteran, uh, they might go and somebody that they don't have to invest money in after this season. I just think that there is some slight value there. Yeah, I, again, I think the value comes in in a long reliever swingman type of role. Exactly. I, I Not a bona fide. He would not go to a place. I just think teams get desperate. I mean, the Phillies just traded yeah. top prospects for Brandon Workman, who's well, like and, never been And good. look at the injuries this year, too. I mean, yeah, there to have the, been... To the pitchers, to the starting pitchers. 31 however many games we're through right now, there have been almost twice as many injuries to pitchers as there were last year. Yeah. That's crazy. Right, and... Uh, Non-COVID-related injuries. Yes, exactly. And, I mean, Richard Blyer has been, we mentioned him as one of the more consistent pieces, but, like, the fact that the Orioles were, were able to deal for him, or deal him, they might not have been able to deal him in a regular season, you know? It's just because of the crazy, the Marlins needed 18 guys, so yeah. here you go. So maybe an outbreak, you know, I, God forbid, an outbreak happens, or, or a, another starting pitcher, high-caliber starting pitcher goes down, and they just need to fill a spot. That's that's the value I think Tommy Malone could bring. So 22% for me. Sure. I'd, I'd hang right around there. I okay. think about a 20% chance that Tommy Malone gets dealt. All right. Here's the second biggest trade candidate I think the Orioles have, and that's Alex Cobb. I am at 61% chance of getting dealt. Where are you getting the 61%? It's not 60. It's 61, Brendan. Okay. It's I, not I just 60. wanted to clarify. It's not 60. It's 61. Okay. Yeah. He did the math. Alex Cobb, I think, <laughs> has... Uh, a contract that is not favorable. That is the biggest impediment to him being dealt because this is not a situation of an Andrew Kashner where Andrew Kashner was on an expiring contract. Absolutely, a team's going to sign up for that. Alex Cobb is under contract for next year. He's got how many how many millions tied up for next year? Uh, the contract that he signed was a four-year, $57 million contract that keeps him with the club through 2021. So a team would get this year of control, and the full year next year of control. So the Orioles would probably have to chip in money. The thing is, some of that money is backloaded, or is, um, what am I thinking, is spread out over the years after 2021. Deferred. There's the, the word. Yeah. The, some of that money is deferred. So he, you know, that kind of helps, I guess. So a team doesn't have to pay all that money next year in a year where I'm, they may be saying we're, we're cash-strapped. Who knows? But... I do think he still has value because he has a 3.73 ERA at this point. He has his highest K per nine since 2017, and he looks like a legitimate starter again. Yeah, and I think this is the the difference between a guy like Cobb and a guy like Tommy Malone. If you're trading for Cobb, you are probably inserting him as the number three, number four pitcher in your rotation, and he's probably going to start some meaningful games. The thing with Alex Cobb, the reason that I was hesitant to have his you know, percentage of a trade be 80-90% is, like you said, that contract. Yeah. If you're a team that is trading for Alex Cobb, I think it has to be a team that is a, is a top contender because I think you have to inherit that risk of if you trade for Alex Cobb and you don't go far in the playoffs, 
you are now on the hook for a guy for 15 plus million over the next two years who is going to be your number three or number four starter. Now, if you can find the value there and say, you know, we need a guy who's going to pitch game four in a meaningful playoff series and you think Alex Cobb can be that guy, then that contract value absolutely is worth it. I mean, you look at the Red Sox and a guy like Nathan Eovaldi, he is being paid more than he is worth right now, in my opinion. He's getting paid around $17 million a year, I think. But Eovaldi was great in the postseason and helped the Red Sox win a World Series. So at the end of the day, no matter how Eovaldi is pitching going forward, that's a contract you'll take yeah. if Eovaldi helps you win a World Series. And if Alex Cobb is able to help a team win a World Series then you're going to take that contract for 2021, even if it's not the most favorable thing in the world. Right, and honestly, the fact that it is a shortened season might, I think, in some weird way, help his trade value because you're not asking him to stay healthy for all that long. I think if a team traded for him on July 31st or like when Kashner got traded last year in, like, what, early July, you're asking then Alex Cobb to stay healthy for July, August, September, and then October. That's four months as opposed to maybe two months. So which is kind of crazy, but like you're, you're not at, he's, he is still injury prone. He could very well break down on a team if they trade for him and they have to know that when they trade for him. So the fact that they are just asking him to make six reg more regular season starts or seven more regular season starts and then one, two playoff games or whatever it may be or be a swing man out of the bullpen in, the, in playoff games, I think that honestly helps his trade value. I could see Cobb getting dealt to a team like the Braves. That, I could that too. was the most logical yeah. landing spot for me. We've already seen the Braves get hit with that injury bug with Mike Soroka going down for the year. I mean, he was the ace of that rotation. They've been calling up some of their top prospects. We just saw Ian Anderson no-hit the Yankees through five innings Stud. in his debut. He looks like he's going to be fantastic. But if you're the Braves, you would definitely prefer to have some more veteran guys in there to go along with the top prospects so I think they could be a logical landing spot I think they're going to make some noise in the National League obviously you've got teams like the Dodgers that are kind of the top tier but I think the Braves are pretty close to that tier and I think adding a guy like Alex Cobb while it's not the flashy you know Zach Grinke deal from last year you're not getting a guy who's going to come in and be the ace having a solid number three, number four starter is still going to push you forward. And it might be for a, a team like the Braves, it might be Cobb and somebody else from another team. You know, mm -hmm. it, it might be Cobb and then a really good starter on another team. And Cobb and Mike Clevenger or something like that. So that you have two guys in that rotation that you can fill in. I could see the White Sox also dealing for him. Uh, another team that just needs spot starts here and there, considers themselves a contender. All right. Relievers, let's get out of the, the way the ones that I don't think are going to be dealt. Tanner Scott, still 26 years old. Just don't see that happening. Miguel Castro, starting to, it appears, find himself. Still only 25, which is crazy. These guys are too valuable to deal at this point. Yeah, and Castro's stuff in particular, I mean, oh my goodness. He oh, has some of electric. the nastiest stuff in the league. It's, it's electric. And we've heard buzz about Tanner Scott. You know, some of his teammates were saying that he could have some of the best left-handed stuff in the American League. I mean, his fastball is like a true rising fastball. Yeah. Um, and it's always been control for him. So those guys starting to figure it out, I think the Orioles want those guys to succeed, and they want them to succeed in Baltimore, at least for the time being. Yeah, and they're guys that could logically be bullpen pieces yeah. when, you know, the Orioles in a few years look to get out of the more rebuild phase and go into the contending phase, I think these are two guys that could stick around in the bullpen. Three guys, Sean Armstrong, Cole Sulcer, Michael Givens. Armstrong, I only think, could be dealt because of his age and the fact that he's having a good season. So I give him a 9%. He's 29 years old, and he is having a solid year. It's still, what, ERA right around 2. Um, has been very good in, honestly, some pretty high-leverage situations for the Orioles. So I think just because of his age, I could see him getting dealt. Yeah, I, I could see it. The thing with relievers that I'm going to bring up, I know we're going to talk about Michael Givens. Relievers are pretty volatile in their seasons and in, in how consistent they are. I mean, Sean Armstrong is a guy who came from Seattle because the Mariners got rid of him because he had an ERA of over 15. 
and and now he's come to the Orioles and seems to have found his spot a little bit and is having a solid season. But if you're a contending team, again, we know contending teams pretty much always need bullpen help, it seems. But would you trade for a guy who really doesn't have that track track record? I think that's the biggest question with Sean Armstrong. Yeah, I mean, that's... I agree. And you just do see, I think, some teams just buy into one season they think... It may be only be this year that this guy is good, but we're going to cash in on this year. We're going to try to get him for this year. Um, you know, I, all of a sudden, these guys that, like, have been mediocre relievers are having great years, and you see teams give up tons, shell out tons and tons of prospects or whatever it is for these guys just because they're like, he's having a great year. He's found it this year. He may not be next year, but, like, let's let's buy it. Uh, let's let's Edwin cash in Diaz. on this. Yeah, Edwin Diaz is, is an example. Um, you know, I, I see... Uh, Daniel Hudson for the Nationals. You know, never great reliever at any point in his career. Uh, fine reliever, but like a four ERA guy. Last year, having a career year, Nationals said, we got to get him. And then he ended up having a great second half and, yeah. and pitching in the World Series. So I could see that happening. But still not likely for Sean Armstrong. Cole Sulser, I put at 36% because he's 30 years old and uh, he does have a slight track record. Did not allow a run last year for the Tampa Bay Rays in like seven appearances. I think that he potentially has some interest to a team that is desperate. There are teams out there that are desperate for bullpen help. Again, it's it's the same thing for me as it was with Armstrong. I don't think Solcer has long enough of a track record for a team yeah. to really trust him. But again, it's it's hard to find really good track records with relievers. Because a lot of the time, they're just having one good season here, one good season there. And if Solcer seems to be trending in the right direction for 2020, then, like you said, maybe a desperate team that really needs a reliever will make a move for Cole Solcer. I don't think it's incredibly likely. I would put my percentage a little closer to the 15 20% range rather than the 31%, was it? 36. 36%. Sorry, I can't keep your very specific numbers. 36.7. Okay. Repeat. I'm glad you clarified. Repeating. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I would put him more towards a, a 15.2 percent chance. I would say pi divided by f- times seven percent. Yeah, that chance. that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. That's that's a really high number. That's no, a, that's like 28. I don't know. We're not math majors. All right. Uh, Michael Gibbons is the most likely trade candidate for the Baltimore Orioles because he is having a great year. He has been a trade candidate for quite a while for the Baltimore Orioles. Really a great story in terms of uh, uh, a great story in the organization of a former shortstop converted to pitcher. They figured him out. He had several great years, has really struggled specifically in the 2018-2019 season seasons. He gave up a home run last night that was the go-ahead homer, but he just looks better. He ju- and, and I just think a, this is the guy. You talk about teams not having track records to go by. They have a track record for Michael Givens, and it is pretty solid. Yeah, and before last night's game, Givens had an ERA of 077. He hasn't been used in the highest leverage situations this season. I think that's been a good move from Brandon Hyde. You're you're using him in a lot of seventh, eighth innings, and I think that's probably a, a better spot for him. I don't know if a team would trade for Givens right now to be the everyday no. closer. No, and, and he struggled in that role last year. And I think it would be probably a similar move to when the Yankees traded for Zach Britton. He didn't come in and you know be the everyday closer. He came in to be the seventh, eighth inning guy, and he was really effective in that role. And I could see Givens realistically having a similar type of role with a contending team. This is at the point where I would be surprised if Givens wasn't dealt. We've talked about a lot of guys that I would be surprised if they were. I would be very surprised if Michael Givens was not traded at the 2020 trade deadline. I was surprised when he wasn't traded last year. I think a lot of people were. So this is a reliever that has actually been consistently good, which is something that is hard to find in relievers. And I think a team could trade for him and put him in that seventh, eighth inning role and he would be really effective. Yeah. He's got 19 strikeouts in just 13 innings pitched this season. I think he fits that 7th, 8th inning role perfectly. Yeah, only cost the team this year $3.23 million arbitration, under arbitration, final year next year, so a team doesn't have to commit a whole lot of money. They still have him under control for a year, so they're not trading for just a month of him. 
And honestly, if they do trade for him now, I do think that Michael Elias will get more at this deadline for Michael Givens than he would have at last year's deadline, which takes patience. And you talked about you were surprised. I was surprised, too, that he didn't get traded last year's trade deadline. But now's the time. I mean, now is the time. He's got a, a 1.38 ERA. He Last year, he had like a 4.50 ERA and really struggled. So you really were not going to get a whole lot for him. Now is the time to deal him, uh, and I think they could get a, a fairly high return. Maybe a, I don't know, a, I'm imagining three prospects. Maybe all to be named later, maybe one at a 60-man. But I think this is a potential three-prospect deal. Yeah, I don't think his value is going to be any higher than it is right now. Right. I agree. I agree. Uh, so that that is our preview of the trade deadline, which is just around the corner. But who knows? Maybe the Orioles won't trade anybody. Maybe they'll uh, they'll just stand pat. Maybe they'll buy. Uh, they won't buy. <laughs> they will not buy. Yeah. Uh, Dylan Bundy could be coming back to the Orioles <laughs> at some point. Um, no, but at least we are, you know, we're going to see some kind of movement at this deadline, whether it is from the Orioles or from other teams, has the potential to be quite interesting. We mentioned it earlier, but Trey Mancini has his own podcast. It's called Call Your Shot, and he hosts it with Sarah Perlman, former host of Mass and All Access. I talked to Trey about that podcast. Here's our interview. Now we're joined on the Mass and All Access podcast by Orioles first baseman, outfielder, and of course, of course, host of the Call Your Shot podcast, Trey Mancini. Trey, thanks so much for joining us. Oh, yeah. Thanks for having me on, Paul. So let's start about this this podcast. And well, actually, let's let's put that on the back burner because first and foremost, how are you feeling? How are you doing? How many treatments do you have left? Could you give us a health update? Yes, yes. So I went for my 10th treatment this week. Uh, so I have two left. Um, and and then, yeah, I should be done, have my final scans right after that, and then um, getting my port out. So it's nearing the end here. So just kind of counting down the days. Um, so so really looking forward to that. So um, this week was a little tougher than the last few have been, actually. it's The crazy part of this is you never really know how you're going to handle it, how you're going to feel during the week. And um, this one hit me a little harder for whatever reason. It's been really random. So I've had 10 treatments so far. The second, the fourth, and this 10th one have probably been um, the toughest. So there's no rhyme or reason um, really for why sometimes it's it's different um, and hits you a little harder, but I'm definitely better today than I have been the, the past three days. So I'm um, turning a corner here. So I'm glad I don't have to go back um, you know, for another couple of weeks. So, yeah. so um, kind of have, you know, some time to work out and, and, and do some things and, and, um, and yeah, so, so kind of glad that I'm over that, that hump of not feeling great this week. That's great. Do you have a plan after the treatments end or is it just kind of a wait and see type thing? Uh, so after the final scans and everything like that um, and, and getting the port out, it's I don't go back for another three months. So I, I go under surveillance is what it's called. So every three months I'll go go in and have a meeting with my oncologist, get some scans, just to make sure everything looks good and make sure my blood work looks good. So um, obviously you want to monitor that pretty closely after you finish up chemo. So, so that's the plan going forward. And that coincides well with, um, you know, starting the season next year, right when I get back up to Baltimore to start the season, that'll be about three months since my last visit to her would be at the end of December. So it, it works out really well. And, and I'm thankful to, um, you know, have all my doctors and the nurses and everybody there in Baltimore. They've, they've been incredible. That's great. Now, I don't want to give away too much because you you detail quite a lot of interesting things about your story in the Call Your Shot podcast. You've already released your first episode. You're co-hosting with Sarah Perlman. How did this podcast come about? Yes. Yeah, so we, uh, you know, during quarantine, we've, um, you know, just been hanging out kind of doing what everybody else has been doing, um, you know, just watching new TV shows. Um, but, but obviously we've had a lot more to deal with, with my cancer and, and Sarah's become basically an at-home nurse for me. Um, so it's, it's been a, a whirlwind obviously for us the last five months. So, uh, you know, whenever I'm done playing one day, I, I would be interested in doing broadcasting in some sense. And obviously Sarah's in that field. So we thought it would be really fun to, um, you know, just start a little podcast and just talk about what the last five months have been like for us because um it's been crazy and and we get a lot of messages from people wishing us well wanting to know how everything's going so we thought the best way to maybe um you know update everybody and and spread the word about 
you know, a lot of different things would be doing this podcast together. And, and um, we got really good feedback from the first episode and it was just so much fun. I mean, we, we really did just have a conversation like we always do every day here talking about everything. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's, I'm really excited about it. Yeah. I mean, you were literally recording on your couch. I'm pretty sure. Uh, is Olympia, your dog involved in the podcast at all? Is she trying to get her voice heard? Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. She's over there chewing a table right now. Um, actually, so yeah, we uh, yeah, I think we're gonna have an episode coming up soon detailing kind of why we decided to get a dog too, and and what it's been like raising a dog, because um, there's been a huge spike. Uh, like especially in our apartment building, it's just everybody. There's a huge influx of puppies right around when we got her in late April. So. Um, so yeah, we, we kind of were part of the quarantine puppy crew. So, um, yeah, raising her, you know, it has its challenges, but she makes us so happy and, and, um, it's just such a loving dog and we couldn't be happier to have her. That's awesome. She is adorable from all the pictures and videos that I have seen of her. So, (laughs) yeah. So you mentioned some of the topics that you want to hit on this podcast how much of this podcast is going to be baseball and how much of it is going to be, you, you know, your treatments, what you're going through. How is this going to be a total mix of topics going forward? Yeah, a total mix of topics. Um, I'd almost say, yeah, like I said earlier, it's not not really a baseball podcast at all. Obviously, I have a background and I'll like, you know, say some stuff about it, talk about how I watch the game every night and, and um, you know, cheer for the guys on tv and and it's true what they say baseball is a lot easier from the couch by the way so um yeah it's easy to sit on the couch and and look at a pitch and say oh that looks like a good pitch to hit but you know once you're in the game it's a lot tougher so um it's been it's been strange um you know seeing the guys on tv and not being there with them but i um you know like i said i've been so proud of the way they've been playing so far they um you know, they've got such a good group and it's just a huge testament to um, the culture being built there. And that started, you know, right when Hyder came in and and a lot of the messages that, that um, he's instilled at us, I think people are are seeing this year, the guys are really playing for each other and, and um, you know, and clicking and a lot of guys are making a name for themselves. So it's been so fun to, to watch a lot of guys, um, you know, really make a name for themselves. And I wish I was up there with them um, when they were doing it, but I, I can't wait to be back with them soon. Well, I know you're shouting at the TV often from your couch. Are you texting these guys or calling these guys before or after games? Oh, yeah, yeah. I, uh, you know, I'll text every time Rio hits a, a homer, I'll, I'll send him a, a text message. And uh, when Chance let off for the, the first time the other day, I tried to give him some sage advice from my days leading off, uh, <laughs> you know, some things like that. And then, um, you know, texting Mountcastle when he got called up. So I'll definitely, um, yeah, I, and, and then I talk to a, a lot more of the guys, too, whenever um, they're doing well. So I just always want to, you know, stay close and, and um, you know, let them know that I'm following and watching, even though I'm not able to be up there with them. At some point during the rest of the season or maybe after the season, are you going to have some of your teammates on the podcast as guests or do you have plans oh, sure. for guests? Yeah, yeah, most definitely. So, um, yeah, I mean, I'd love to have everybody on there. So, yeah, that's definitely part of the plan for sure. Well, I definitely agree with you. You mentioned on the podcast that you've been watching The Wire, but you do still think Breaking Bad is maybe the greatest show of all time. I have to agree with that take. I know Baltimoreans might not like it, but it's bold for putting that out there. And it it might be a matter of what show you watch first, too, because obviously The Wire came on TV before Breaking Bad. So, But I I watched The Wire after Breaking Bad. So I think a lot of times, um, you know, you you always latch on to the first show you watch. So that could be the situation for me here, too. Because The Wire really, you know, transcended television. And, and um, I mean, it's it's a show that will always go down as, you know, a, I think a top three, top five show of all time. And I think Breaking Bad is too. But if I had to choose, I say Breaking Bad is still my favorite. See, these are the kind of fiery takes that I can't wait to hear on the Call Your Shot I've got, podcast. I've got a few bold office takes I can offer up too. So I'm, I'm obsessed with The Office. So I'm preparing to... Uh, you know, so some people might not be too happy with a couple of things I have to say about what we'll see. <laughs> this is going to turn into a, a first take with Sarah and Trey. I can't wait. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so uh, besides the podcast, what kind of off-season plans? It's crazy. We're already talking about the off-season, but the month, yeah. the season is over pretty much in a month. The regular season is at least. What kind of off-season plans do you have? I just want to have a normal off-season. So I'll obviously start hitting earlier than I would have. On a normal year, usually I start hitting in about December. I'll take a couple months off after the season, but I've had I've had my time off uh, 
you know, from baseball activities during my treatment. So, um, I do, I, I'm really itching to get back in the cage and just excited to, um, you know, start swinging the bat again and, and doing baseball activities, especially since the games have been coming on TV, it makes you want to do it even more. So, um, I'm just looking back to getting back to normalcy, honestly. Um, obviously 2020 threw everybody in the world for a loop and, and, um, you know, Sarah and I in particular here, um, dealing with, you know, cancer and, and everything it's thrown at us, but just getting back to normal and, and things like that sounds pretty darn good right now. And you mentioned it earlier, but do you still have plans to return for the 2021 season on time? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. As, as, you know, by all accounts, everything's looking pretty good right now. So as long as my scans look good, um, I should be healthy and cleared to you know, start doing baseball activities pretty much immediately whenever I want after um, the scans are over when, you know, late, right when the season ends is when my final scans are. So after that, I should be good to go. And I'm yeah fully planning on, on being there in 2021. That's, that's terrific news, Trey. I mean, I, I've, I've listened to the first episode of the podcast. I can't wait to listen to more. I mean, as you know, I broke my wrist because I am terrible at tennis and <laughs> I've, you know, I, I was feeling down on myself last week and I put on the podcast and it just kind of put everything into perspective. I mean, what you guys have gone through over the past five-ish months, the way that you have shown through this whole thing, the way that Sarah has, you know, as you mentioned, been a nurse basically to you is... is yeah, I mean, I, I, there's zero shot I get through this the way I have without her. Um, I just can't say enough about what she's done for me. And, um, you know, for, obviously from a physical standpoint, like helping me take the port out, everything, she's, she's yeah, like I said, learn how to be a nurse, but from a mental <laughs> standpoint too. Um you know, I've been handling everything really well and that's all because of her. So, um, you know, having somebody like that in your life and, and, uh, to be with you every step of the way like that, you know, it's hard to put into words what that means. So, um, yeah, that's, that's helped me just, you know, more than I can even say. That's, that's really awesome. And uh, I'm sure you know that all of Baltimore has your back and we all have your back here and we can't wait to see you come back to a baseball field. But in the meantime, it's great to hear you your voice on a podcast. It's great to hear my former co-host on Mass and All Access on a on back in the airwaves too. But where can we uh, hear your podcast coming up? Yeah, so it's uh, it just got on Apple. Um, nice. So we're still on Apple now, Spotify, um, and there's one other outlet I think. <laughs> but Apple, Apple and Spotify, I know it's on those two. Sounds good. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Trey, thanks so much for coming on and talking about the podcast, talking about how you're doing. Uh, we really appreciate the time. All right. Thanks, Paul. Thanks so much for having me on.